You know, God is good to us. And I'm, I'm excited to really speak from God's word today. So open up your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we'll be this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. Before we get to the passage, though, um, I want to remind you of just some things that you already know. But I want to maybe um, let them kind of weigh upon our passage today. The reality is that God has designed this earth. He's made, this, he's made everything that we see, all of creation, to operate by some pretty specific rules and laws and principles. There's just truth. I mean, God, when God created the heavens and the earth, he designed all, of, all that we call science. And it's really the earth is, it operates by a set of rules and by a set of, of laws that no matter what you do, they work. I mean, the, the obvious example to me is gravity. Okay, I know it's somewhere around 9.8 Meters per second squared is the force of gravity. Um, I think it changes by my, how high I am or what, I don't know. But, but I remember that number somewhere from my past. And, and also from my past, I've experienced the effects of gravity. Have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Many, many times. Uh, when I was just a young child, I actually pulled out three or four of my front teeth because of gravity. When I climbed up on a picnic table, stuck a rope in my mouth and jumped off the edge of the table. Don't do that, kids, okay? They do it at the circus, but it doesn't work for us. Tried it myself. Didn't work. Gravity always works. And really, you're kind of foolish when you try to resist that. If you go into your life and you try to resist the effects of gravity, you're going to have problems. We all know that. We all understand that. There are physical laws that are true. And we can see them, and we can feel them, and we can experience them. But I want to start out a time today just to remind you that God has established some spiritual laws as well. And some are real practical. And some of the parents in the room, we like some of these I'm going to share. I mean, for instance, you know, honor your parents, and it'll go well with you. I mean, that's a life principle, right? It's also right out of the Bible. God designed the system that way. He said, you reap what you sow. It's a, it's a law that God has established. And you can try to fight against it. You can try to resist these laws that God has established. But you're going to have it's an exercise of frustration in your own life. And you're going to have challenges and difficulties, much like it would be if you tried to resist gravity. It doesn't work. The wages of sin is death. Reap what you sow. Honor your parents. Gravity They're all one and the same. Laws that God has established. I want to talk about one in particular today. I want to talk about a a principle or a law that God has set into place. And in reality, many, many people try to live in opposition to it and then wonder at the results. They kind of wring their hands over the results when they're living in very opposition to it. And here's what it is. God repairs and completes people through the ministry of the local church. God repairs and completes people through the ministry of the local church. Now that's a reality. It's a law that God has established. That God has just chosen in his grace to use 
Sinful people like us all gather together here in a corporate way to work in our lives. And we can try to go against that. We can try to sort of do it our own way. But it's only an exercise of frustration. God has given us the tool, his chosen tool to work in the world today. But many people, many Christians, try to operate outside of that and then wonder at the frustration. Imagine if I told my son, son, I want you to go mow the grass. The mower's in the shed, go use it to mow the grass. And then his, you know, that day he was having a bad day. He's like, I don't want to use that mower. My dad doesn't know what he's talking about. I know a better way to do it. You've got a pair of scissors. I got a big lawn, okay? When the pair of scissors starts clipping the lawn. And then wonder, why is, why is daddy doing this to me? Why is he sending me out here to cut grass like this? And dad's back at the house, drinking iced tea, you know, looking out in the yard and thinking, son, I told you to use the mower. I provided the mower. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I've got really just two verses for us today. Remember, we've been through the book of Ephesians. We, we're walking through this verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We, we've, we've gone through the first, first three chapters. We've started in chapter 4. We're spending the summer in chapter 4, okay? We're going we're gonna to walk all summer through this whole chapter, okay, and understand what God's will is for us. We've seen that in the first three chapters, God has established our identity in him, who we are in Christ. And we pointed out that there's only one command in the first three chapters, There's only one thing you're told to do in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that command is only the word remember. Number 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all about filling up in our minds, in our spirits, in our heart what God has done in our lives. That we are rich in Christ. That this work is already done in us. And all we're called to do is to remember it. Remember who we were, dead in our sins. Remember that he made us alive in Christ and has created us to be his workmanship for good works. So then we transition to chapter 4. And now we're chapters 1, 2, and 3. One command, only the word remember. Now in chapter 4 and beyond, there's going to be all kinds of commands. It's going to be do this and do that and do this and do that. But you need to understand it's very important what this is about. It's not saying do these things so then you'll be a good boy or a good girl. Do these things so that you'll win God's approval. Do these things so that God will like you. That's not what it means at all. That's not what it means at all. God is explaining to us what it means to walk in a manner worthy of this great calling he has given us. God has called us to himself and he's now describing what that looks like When we're living it out. His spirit will be the power behind this. His spirit will be the enabling force. The enabling presence in our life. But we're seeing now what it looks like. So let's read verses 11 and 12. We'll pick up next week with the the verses that follow. But today only verses 11 and 12. And here's what it says. And he, it's Jesus, okay. And he gave the apostles, the prophets... The evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints 
for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, that's where we're going to stop today. But if you have your Bible, I'm going to keep reading, okay? We'll pick up with this next week at verse number 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I want to do verse 15. I want to speak the truth to our body in love today. And in many ways, I'm kind of speaking to the choir. I get that. You're here because you believe in what God wants to do through his local church. That's why you're here today. But I want to speak to us and and speak the truth in love and help us all to understand how God works in this world. And you might say, well, Lowell, we already believe that. That's why we're here. I know. I know. But we've all had our hearts broken. We've all had our hearts broken by those who sat with us at one time. Who sat with us at one time. And have drifted in their heart and drifted in their spirit away from the truth that we know. And that is we live in a sin-cursed world. Surrounded by people who want nothing to do with God. And if we try to operate on our own. If we try to, you know, step out on our own without the tool that God has given us, without the tool of the body of Christ, the corporate gathering of his church, with men and women that he has gifted to produce what he wants, if we drift from that, folks, I can offer you no hope. I can offer you no hope. I would look at my son out in the yard, clipping the grass with scissors and say, Son, I can offer you no hope other than the mower. So I want to really look at really four questions today and try to answer them. The first is, what is God doing in the world? And the second is, how is he doing it? And the third is similar to the first, and that is, what's God doing in our life? And how is he doing it? Okay, that's our plan for today. So let's start with the first one. What is God doing? Okay, you'll find it in the passage, okay? Let's read it again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, for building up, that is, the body of Christ. This is what God is doing. He is building up the body of Christ. What is God doing? He's building. This word literally means to build a house. That's what it means. God has fashioned this this plan where he is now working in this world to build up the very, what he calls, the body of Christ. These are the believers in Jesus who his spirit has come and indwelt. 
This happened in a special way after Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost, the birth of the church, where you and I now, if you're in Jesus, if Jesus Christ, if you are in him, then his spirit is in you. And he comes in and dwells you. And when you got saved, you were baptized in the spirit. And he now indwells you and places you as a member of his body. As a member of his body. Now, what is a body? This is a question we've actually asked several times over the last couple weeks. I mean, what is a body? You might say, well, that's a silly question. But it's got a profound answer. The body is the place or the tool or the means for your spirit to operate. You see, you are a spirit. You are a spirit. God made you as a spirit and you will exist eternally as a spirit. But God has placed you in this body temporarily. He calls it a tent. We are here. And what this body does is it lives out on this earth the will of our spirit. That's what a body does. A body is a means for the spirit to operate. And folks, when you're in Christ, you are now the body of Christ. So we are the means for the spirit of Christ to operate in this environment. This is what you've been invited to. This is the privilege you've been given. That the God of the universe, his spirit, is this means of living in this environment. And it is the body of Christ. That's why when we gather here together, this is a significant moment. Now, this is not the only expression of the body of Christ. I understand that. But this is a special expression of the body of Christ. And God is building up the body of Christ. Not only locally, meaning individual gospel preaching, Bible teaching bodies of Christ, but also universally the body of Christ. Now, let's think about how he does that. Let's think about how he does that and and, and really invite you to it. God invites people from this world, worldlings, dead people, and invites them to himself through the gospel, through what Jesus did on the cross. This is what God does. But we are the body of Christ. So what's that mean about us? This is our role. This is our role. We are out there, as you will, making a call on God's behalf. You call us an ambassador for God. Inviting people to be reconciled to him. This is how he builds up his body. This is what he does. He makes new disciples. He disciples new believers. He grows people in him. This is what God is doing in the earth. I invite you to join him. Join him. And the thing about this building, I just want to say this, it, is a, it, is a, it has a corporate nature. This body of Christ, it's a corporate nature. Now, that's not a word you use very often, okay? And what it means is it's more than personal. It's more than personal. I didn't say it's not personal. I said it's more than personal. 
Folks, here's the reality. You and I, when we, when we were reborn and became part of the body of Christ, there is now a need, a desire, and a design for us to be part of the corporate body of Christ. If you're doing this thing on your own, you're not doing it. That's the reality. If you're doing this on your own, you're not doing it. Because God has you here. Because he's building up the body and he uses us. Remember what a body is? It's the means for the spirit to do its work. God God wants you to be part of this corporate work he's doing and you need you to be part of it. I tell you, I am saddened for people. You see it on Facebook and, and other you know, social media places, even in conversations. You'll hear people say things like, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I got really hurt by the church. And so I've sort of, you know, I kind of do it on my own. I've, I've left that and, and I do it on my own. Listen, I'm really saddened for those people. And when I say saddened, I don't mean, you know, you make me sick. I mean, I sorrow for you. If that's you, I, I really have sorrow in my heart for you. Because you're, you're allowing that past experience to keep you from what God wants to give you. And that's my next point. How is God doing this? He does it through giving. He does it through giving. Look with me at verses 7 through 11 at all the expressions of God giving. He wants to build up the body of Christ and so he does it through giving. Go back to verse number 7. And let's just see this. We have, but grace was given. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. That's a gift. And it's given. And to the measure of Christ's gift And in verse number 8, it says, he gave gifts to men. And really, in verse number 9 and so forth, and in verse number 10, it says, he might fill all things. Another expression of his gift. And in verse number 11, he gave apostles. God is in the business of giving. He's giving. He's giving grace. He's giving gifts. He's giving salvation. Now, this, this totally turns on its end the view that many people have of God. Many people approach God thinking, I must give him something. I must give him something. People bow before idols because of the things they're going to give this idol. God says, no, I'll give to you. I'll give to you. I will give you gifts. I will give you grace. I will give you relationship. Folks, that's the gospel. We don't earn, God gives. We don't work for, God provides, God grants. It's the wonder of the true gospel. God is building up the body and he is doing it through giving. Through giving. So, to my next question. We see what he's doing in the world. He's building up the body. We see how he's doing it through giving. Now, How, what is God doing in my life? And honestly, 
this is the main thing I want to talk about, okay? So let's look at verse number 12. So he's told that these gifts that he's giving, these, these individuals really, we'll talk about it in a minute, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But it says, to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now this word equip is very important for us. And it is what God wants to do in your life. It's what God wants to see happen in your life. That you would be equipped for what God intended. We know he's building the body. We know he does that through his grace by giving. But what he wants to do in our life is equipping. So let's take this apart. You're going to need your Bible, okay? And let's understand what it is that God is doing. I want to start out and give you a definition of the word equip, okay? It's, it's a word we don't really use very often, all right? But, but I'll put it up on the screen here. Um, what it means is it means to bring to complete adequacy that fully qualifies. It means to, to take something and restore it so that it is, it is to its intended purpose, Okay? So let's, let's, take a, let's take an example, all right? So I drive a vehicle like most of you. And there are times when, usually from my neglect and just misuse, you know, something goes wrong with my vehicle, okay? You know, it's, it's making a loud noise, a clanging cymbal, you know, whatever, whatever it is, all right? And so for a long time, you know, I just turn up the radio so I can't hear the noises. But eventually, okay, and when I get broken down along the road or it's shaken or it's shattered and all that stuff, I call a friend of mine who happens to be a mechanic, and I say, please help me. Help me. Probably when he sees my phone ring, he's like, oh, man, here's Lowell again. His car broke down. And what's he do? Well, he brings it into his garage. He's got a whole host of tools, most of which I don't even know what they even are, okay? And like a, like a skilled surgeon, he grabs this and he grabs that. And restores that piece, he restores that automobile back to its intended purpose. He equips it. Folks, this is what we need. This is what you and I need. And it's what God desires to do in our lives. But really what has been kind of revealed to me is what that really means. And I, I want you to remember two words. I think they're on your worship notes wrong, okay? So if I've got it wrong there, fix it for me. Um, it's this, that God intends to repair and prepare his children. To repair and prepare his children. God receives us, some of us broken by sin, some of us so far gone into sin that oh, in our minds we have no value. And God receives us as we are. Just as we are. He doesn't say clean yourself up first. He doesn't say stop doing this or start doing that. He just says come to me. Come to me as you are. And repairs us. He fixes what's broken. And what's broke is not our tongue. It's not our eyes. It's not our feet that take us places we don't want to go. What's broken on us is our very spirit. Our heart is broken. 
wicked is what the Bible has to say. And so God starts this process of equipping where he repairs and he prepares us for what he intends to do. Let me show you this in the Bible because it's, it's a fascinating study, okay? So we'll, we'll start looking at the places where this word is used in your Bible. Now in the Greek, this word equip is only used as a noun one time in Ephesians chapter 4. That's the only place it's used as a noun where it says that this is what this, these, these people are doing. They are equipping us. But it's used in our Bible in the verb form over and over and over. And it shows us what God intends. Okay? So go with me on this journey. Start out, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Turn here in your Bible. I think I have the main part of the passage will be on the screen. But in Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to see this word, equip. And I want you to be excited about what God wants to do in your life. We'll go into verse number 20. And here's what it says. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, here it is, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. The thing I want you to see here is the source of this work, the power of this work, where God does this this restoring in you. We're born sinners, born running away from God, born opposing God, and God wants to fix you. He wants to fix you. It is God that does this, the God of the universe that desires this. And in this passage, it is clear the word equip is very easy to find. It's spelled E-Q-U-I-P, okay? But it's right there, and it is God is the one who is doing it. The great shepherd of the sheep. How does it feel to know that God is on your side? That God wants to restore you. That God wants to complete you. That God wants you to... To live up to your designed purpose. And in this passage, it tells us what it is. It's not making lots of money. It's not driving nice cars. It's not kicking soccer balls a long way. That's not what it is. Those things are well and fine, but that is not what God's purpose is for you. It's important that you know what God's purpose is. I don't care who signs your paycheck. I don't care what your hobby is or what pictures you put on Instagram. None of that stuff matters. What matters is this. He's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. This is what God wants to do in you. This is what excited me when I realized it. Really, I think for the first time, I think I was a believer. You guys have heard my testimony many times. You've heard me talk about it. I love to tell the story because it's my story. I was a believer, I think. But honestly, I was very little fruit in my life. I was, a, I was an adult child, if that makes any sense. I, wasn't, I had no walk with the Lord. Sin was reigning in my life. And those around me felt it. You been there? And I was exposed 
to the gospel, yes, but even more than that, I was exposed to people, in my case, men, who desired to be used of God to do this, to work in me, to repair me, and to prepare me to live out what God intended. Go to another verse to see this. Uh, this, is, this one's another fascinating one. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Now, this one's a little harder to find the word, but I'll show it to you. Matthew chapter 4. Remember, this is the verb form of that same noun that is used in Ephesians 4 for what God is doing in us. If Matthew chapter 4, verse number 21 Now, when you look at the passage, we're along the Sea of Galilee. We're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Picture it. Out on the sea is a bunch of of ships, a bunch of boats, that is. And on those boats are fishermen. And they're not fishing with, they're not using, you know, fly rods or spinning reels or anything like that. They're using big nets that they would drop down into the water and they would pull them back up and, and they would catch fish in that way. And, and this is going on all through the gospels as this fishing is occurring. And many of the people who are key factors, key players in our gospel story, of course, were fishermen. And some of them show up right here. Jesus says in verse number 19 to these fishermen, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now here comes the important part. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. You picture it? Dad's there saying, son, do this. Hey, boy, do that. But it says here that they're with their father and they are mending their nets. Mending their nets. What's that mean? It means, you know, they're bringing up a great big fish and the fish rips through the net and now there's a hole in it. So what do they got to do? Well, they got to repair it. Right, dad? And then they get it ready to go take them back out and cast in the water again. So they're repairing and they're preparing these nets. And that's the word that we find in Ephesians 4. It's what God wants to do in your life. You're out in the world. You're out in the Sea of Galilee. You're out there. The rough and tumble of it all. And you're drawn to things because your flesh wants it. And you're drawn there. And on occasion, God's spirit pricks your heart. I hope you know that call. Your conscience is there and and, and sensitive to God's spirit. And God says, no, come close. Come close. I want to mend you. I want to repair you. And prepare you to live in this world. This is the word equip. There it is. Just for sake of time, we're just going to run through the rest of these. Going to play to the next one on the screen for me. You find it in Luke chapter 6, verse number 40. Jesus here says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone will be fully trained. When you're fully trained, you're like your teacher. You guess what that word is? Yeah, you know it. Equipped. Equipped. So what that tells me is this is not an automatic process. This is something that Jesus is doing in our lives. 
It takes time for God to do this. It takes time for God to work in our lives and to repair us and to prepare us. And then the last one in Galatians chapter 6 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, check this out. You who are spiritual should, and there's our word. And now the translators say, restore, mend, repair, and prepare him in a spirit of gentleness. So let's see some things here. What's God want to do in your life? What's God want to do? He wants to repair. He wants to prepare. He's the one that wants to do it. He's the one that's orchestrating the plan. And the beautiful part about this passage in Galatians chapter 6 is now we see where he's inviting us into the process. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I'll tell you, just as a little parenthesis while you're turning to that passage. Ephesians chapter 4 is a difficult passage for a guy like me to teach. Okay? There's something about this passage that is a little intimidating for me to open it up and read it to you and explain to you what it means. You say, well, why would that be? Well, let's take whatever you do, okay? Let's take what you do. Maybe you're a carpenter or a teacher or, or whatever, whatever you might be, okay? And let's have you get up in front of a whole lot of people, all right? And then talk about what it is that you, in your role, are supposed to do. It's a little intimidating to do that. You see, in this passage, we're going to see how God is doing this. How is God? We know God wants to equip, but how does he do it? Go back to the passage. And he gave, who? Jesus, who's giving. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, The shepherds and teachers is how my translation says it. Your translation very well may say the word pastor. And that's what this word is. It's literally the word shepherd, but it came to mean the leaders of the local body, pastors. We got that word from Greek, basically, and it, and it, became, it became a word that we use now in English as it, as it came through the, the translation of language. But really it just means shepherd. Shepherd. He gave to his church, he gave to his body, these, these people who are gifted of the Lord to do this very work. Let's walk through these. He gave apostles and he gave prophets. Now if you look back at Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 20... Take your eyes over there. You'll see that this is the foundation of the church. This is how God started the church. He started the church with men who were gifted as apostles and prophets. An apostle is one who is sent. A prophet is one who proclaims. So the apostles were sent out with the gospel, with God's plan of what he was going to do. And we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the the qualifications of of an apostle. But these men were sent out by Jesus to to spread the word of God, to write down the word of God, and to bring the, the ministry of the church to the world. And their ministry ended. Ended. 
When somebody tells you that they're an apostle today, I don't, you shouldn't throw a stick at them or anything like that, but you need to know that, in my opinion, they're honestly mistaught. Apostleship was a, was a temporary gift that God used for the formation of the church and to really be a means of inspiring his word. And that came to a completion. And then God had these prophets where the apostles are the ones who brought the word of God. The prophets are the ones who proclaimed it. And so it seems like they were more like in this local church reminding people about the truth of who God is, who Jesus was, and how he wants to work in the world. But again, in 2.20 of Ephesians, it says that this is the foundation of the, of the church, is the apostles and the prophets. And so what happened was this. God, if you would, took the baton. He took it from the apostles and prophets, and he passed it forward to the local church. And we have these, these people, these evangelists and these shepherd teachers. And this is the means now for how God is doing this work in the world. Remember, he wants to build up the body. He's going to do it through giving and he's going to work in us to equip us, but the tool that he uses are sinful, fallen, weak men. They don't have anything special. I've known a lot of them. They have some of the very same struggles that you do, the same challenges that you do, They get discouraged the same way that you do. They have no secret decoder ring that allows them to read the Bible and get some secret truth out of it. The one thing that they have, the one thing that they have is this calling and gift of God. This is why, this is why I say to you, If you're trying to do this on your own, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. I've said this before, but you might think, well, Lowell, of course you're saying that. You're a pastor. Of course you're saying that. That's that's why you're saying that, because you're a pastor. Listen, that's not true. It's not true. Man, I'll, I'll almost fight you on that one, okay? I'm I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I believe that. God called me out of a whole other realm of life. God called me out of a whole other specter where I I I was moving towards other goals. I was moving towards a whole other direction in my life. And God said, nope, nope. That's not what we're going to do with you, Lowell. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to do this instead. So I'm... I'm so grateful that you're here, and I know you're the choir, I get that. But it's essential for us to understand that when we drift away from the tool that God has provided, and we say, you know what? The church made me mad. That pastor, you know, gazillion years ago or two weeks ago, he really hurt me. So I'm going to have nothing to do with that church. It's no different than the foolish son saying, Dad, I'm not using your mower. I'll cut it my way. Be 
careful. Listen, you're here, and I'm grateful for that. I'm proud of you that you're here. It goes against the flow for you to be here. I believe you're here because you love the Lord. I believe you're here because God, God's Spirit has prompted you to move towards Him, and you've responded. But I want to warn you while I've got you here. I want to warn you while... While you're here in the earshot, don't leave the tool that God has given. Pastors, shepherd teachers, I know they do wrong. Listen, I promise you, I I, I promise you, I, I virtually can promise you, there's no way you've been hurt by the church more than I have. say, really? You're going to tell us some bad story, Lowell? No. No, I'm not. But I've been doing this 20 years. There's pastors who've been doing a whole lot longer than me, too. You can give me your list. You can show me the things that people have said to you. the The things that people have done to you. And right before I die, when I'm laying on my deathbed, I might tell you some of mine. Now, I'm not trying to get sympathy at all. I'm trying to say it's not an acceptable excuse. We need the gift God has given. God has provided this gift. Can you imagine opening up your presence and looking at mom and dad and saying, but you didn't give me a whatever? You'd say, what a spoiled child that is. Take him in the back room and spank his little bottom, right? Mm. This is the gift that God has brought. And as I have read the New Testament, I expect no other. I expect no other. This is it. So embrace it. Embrace it. Now I want to give you just four sort of, I think it's more than that. I just kept having ideas. Um, so we have to skip through my slides here, okay? So I know equipping environment is what I want. I'm just going to say a couple things to you. There we go. Um, just a few things that I want to challenge you with, okay? First of all, you need, to, you need to be where the Word of God and the children of God, the believers of God, have, have influence in your life. Listen, if you're at a church, you're visiting here today, I'm glad you're here. If you're at a church where the word of God is not being explained so that you can understand it, find another church. If you don't understand the word of God here, find another church. I'm not for everybody, I know that. You find a place where you hear the word of God and you learn how to understand it. And you also need the other children of God in your life. It's why Pastor Brock comes up here time and time and time again. You see him walk up, you're like, well, here we go, focus groups. Yep, and he'll do it again next week. Because we need that relationship. Shepherd teachers, let me say this, shepherd teachers, they're combined, okay? You can't take one without the other. Don't tell me you listen to podcasts, a lot of preachers on TV or radio, all that kind of stuff. That person's not your shepherd. They're not your shepherd. You don't believe me? Walk up to and ask them your name. Go ask John MacArthur your name. 
if he knows your name, can you introduce me? I'd like to meet him. You need a shepherd who knows your name. Shepherd, teacher, combined together. We need the teaching, but we need the relationship. Okay? Secondly, go to my next one for me because I don't have it here. I need it there. All right. So God's word, faithfully taught, relationally experienced. Faithfully taught, relationally experienced. Listen, I'll I'll tell you, if you're a man or a woman, and you are desiring somebody in your life to relationally experience God's word with you, you come and find one of us, and we will find somebody for you. I've said this before. I will meet you at 3.30 a.m. I will. I prefer to find somebody who can do it during better hours that fit your schedule, but I'd do it. I'd do it. My life is not my own. So if God prompts me to meet you at 3.30 in the morning, we're going to do it, okay? So you need this relational experience in God's word faithfully taught. And lastly, this. And this has more to do with your attitude than anything. This has more to do with your attitude than anything. Come eagerly desiring God's word. Eagerly desiring. Hungry. Needing. Needing this. God will make you feel needy. If you're his child, if you are truly his child, he will make you Feel the need for him. Come eagerly. And when it's brought, willfully receive. I mean, you're willingly receiving. There was a time in my life where, and I've heard other men of God talk about this. There was a time in my life where there were certain individuals. I never told them this. I didn't give them a card that said this. But there were men in my life... They could have told me virtually anything and I would have done it. I was so hungry for growth. I was so hungry for God in his word. That if this guy would have said, Lord, I want you to shave your head. Boom, I'd have done it. I'd have done it. Lord, I want you to never wear gray pants again. All right, that's fine. That's fine. Because I was hungry. That's the attitude we need to bring. Now, not necessarily to a man or a woman, but to God, to his word, to his people in your life that he's brought your way. One more verse, and I'll close with this, because I know I'm out of time. Look what Peter says, and he uses our word, okay? It's 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to catch the whole passage here. See what it says. Verse number 10. After you have suffered a little while. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Before what I'm going to read, it says that we're going to suffer. It's part of life. It's part of God preparing us to hunger for him. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, there's the word, restore. Repair and prepare, equip, mend, restore you. He'll confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You hungry for that? 
Are you hungry for God to take you as you are and repair you and prepare you? Allow the tool that God has given to work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. God, would you just show us the truth of it? We struggle, Lord, because we believe, but we're still chased by this unbelief. Lord, I pray for the one today who's, who's convicted. They haven't been eager. They haven't been willing. They're trying to do it on their own, Lord. And they've realized it's not doing it. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. For your restoration. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.